and praise team for leading us in singing this morning as we worship the Good Shepherd, as you worship the Lord who is our shepherd. Church, please turn your Bibles to Psalm 23 this morning, if you will, Psalm 23. Uh, I was just thinking, uh, reflecting on some experiences I've had in missions, and it was either 2002 or 2003, and I was somewhere in Romania, and I say somewhere because I don't know exactly where we were. I know we were on the top of a mountain, and I know we were at a former communist camp uh, that had been turned into a facility that other people can use since the communist government in Romania had, had been overthrown and had fallen apart. And somehow, a Baptist association in Bucharest, uh, Romania, was given the right to use this. So there was a large uh, youth conference there at this camp in the mountains somewhere in Romania. And I was there with a team of four people, and I was actually one of the speakers, one of the teachers at this youth camp. And this camp was a very primitive, primitive camp. Uh, there, there was a generator that they had run for an hour or so in the, in the afternoon. It wasn't scheduled, but they run it for about an hour or so. There, was, there were shower heads, but there wasn't any hot water, and frankly, there was very little clean water. Most people would go out to the river uh, across from the camp, and that's where they would bathe. Uh, all the food was cooked in this huge round brick oven that was outside of any building. And it's a good thing that they made bread every day because I don't know that I would have eaten anything else that trip. This was a, a good trip, a, a difficult trip. And there's a lot of unforgettable experiences from that trip. One of the experiences that I'll never forget is every morning and every evening, a shepherd would bring his sheep, I think there were sheep and goats in this flock, he would bring his sheep from wherever they were coming from and lead them up the mountain to a, apparently there was a plateau there with grassland and that's where they would feed the sheep and goats and then he would bring them back down every single night. This, it was all sorts of commotion. We, we would just count on it. It was Sun was rising, here comes the shepherd with the sheep and the goats and, and there they were and then he would bring them back down. It happened consistently. We've been talking about Psalm 23, studying in Psalm 23, the good shepherd, the Lord who is our shepherd. And we've been seeing different characteristics of how God leads his people, how he goes before us and how he leads us to where we need to be. How he is present with us, no matter what we experience, no matter what difficulties we face, the good shepherd is present with us. That he is compassionate and tender, and he is able to protect us from ultimate harm. And friends, I know, sometimes we may wonder why we are experiencing what we're experiencing. Sometimes we can look at our lives and say, why is this happening? Like, what's going on here? But we know that the promises that are contained in Psalm 23 depend on the character of the shepherd. And the shepherd is perfect. And the shepherd loves his sheep. And the shepherd is shepherding us in a way to bring about a glorious end. An end which brings us more into the likeness of the shepherd. Now, as David is nearing the end of the psalm, he focuses in verse 5 on God's extravagant love and his comfort or his provision. And this is clear from the imagery of the overflowing cup. 
So I want to read Psalm 23 together. If you'll stand, uh, I'd like to read Psalm 23, and then we will ask God's blessing on this time together in the Word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we humble ourselves As we look to you, we pray that your provision would be abundant in our life. We pray for grace in these moments, Lord. Grace to put aside distraction. Grace to trust you. Grace to follow you. And we pray that even in these moments, we would reflect on how you have cared for us and how you will care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, an overflowing cup means that I have more than enough. If you you just picture a cup that's overflowing, it means I have an abundance. I have what I need. I am satisfied. It makes me think of a root beer float or an ice cream sundae and all the good stuff is kind of coming over the edge. I mean, it's a mother's nightmare, right? But the person who's going to eat it, oh, it's it's delight. It's, It's joy. We just want to, we just want to consume that because it's overflowing with goodness. And, and that's what David is getting at here. He's getting at this overflowing abundance of love and provision of the shepherd. If think about this idea of something overflowing in Scripture. It signifies blessing. I think of Elisha filling the widow's jars of oil abundantly. I think of Jesus in that first miracle when he turned the water into wine at Cana in Galilee at the wedding feast. I think of Jesus feeding the multitudes and then having 12 basketfuls left over from the loaves and the fish. I think of the abundance of God's provision in all things. And when David here thinks of the the shepherd, the Lord who is his shepherd, he can't help but think of the abundance of God's gracious provision. It's overflowing in his life. So the first thing we see this morning in your in your bulletin insert there is the abundance of provision. Now, David writes, "You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies." Now, some scholars here are seeing a metaphor change. Previously, it's all been about the shepherd and the sheep. And, and some see, okay, now he's talking about a, a landowner, a homeowner, and throwing a banquet. So he's talking about a host and a banquet. Now, either way you look at it, what we see is the abundance of provision. Philip Keller, a book we've referred to in this series so far in his, in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, pictures the shepherd going into the high mountain plateaus and preparing the fields for the sheep to come and eat and to grace, to make preparations for that. See, as the shepherd would think about the travels that were to come in the spring months before the summer, the shepherd would go up to these, up to these high mesas, these tables, right? these tablelands, these, these, these plateaus up in the mountain, and he would, he would prepare the food. He would prepare 
the grass for what's going to grow. He would go around and he would inspect every single inch of the field, every single inch of the pasture, and he would look for dangerous things. He would look for signs of predators. He would look for signs of, of snakes. He would do all he could to make sure that it was going to be ready for when they got there. He might even take salt and minerals and throw it out there on the, on the field just to help prepare the grass for its growing season so that the sheep would have everything they needed. He would inspect the potholes that he might find there, and he would fill them up, or he would look for dangerous areas where water could be toxic, and he would want to remove anything that could harm the sheep. Everything he did, the shepherd did, was to prepare the sheep for abundant provision and protection. Now, if the metaphor has changed to the gracious host of a banquet, the idea is that the host has gone to great lengths to show kindness to his guests. And it makes me think of the prodigal son. The prodigal who goes to his father and demands his inheritance early. He throws shame upon his father. And then he goes and he squanders it. And he finally comes to his senses. And then he says, what am I doing here? I want to be a servant in my father's house rather than live in this pigsty. So he goes back to his father and his father sees him coming. And what does he do? He runs out and he greets him. And then remember what he does? He throws a banquet for him. He, he spares no expense. They, they slaughter the fattened calves and they celebrate because, of the son, because the son has returned home. Now, friends, this is picturing a God who has meticulously made provisions for us. He has sent the invitations. He has prepared the meal. He has considered every need. He has met every need and he has anointed his guests with oil. I want you to listen to Isaiah chapter 25. In Isaiah chapter 25, in verse 6, Isaiah is prophesying, God through Isaiah is speaking of this abundance, this victory, and this celebration that God enjoys with his people. Isaiah 25, verse 6 and following. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. And he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away all tears from their faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth, for the Lord God has spoken. Now friends, God is is victorious over his enemies. And ultimately this is an enemy, is sin and death, right? That's the picture here. And this is a celebration of God with his people. And it's likened to a banquet, to an extravagant feast. So you see, either metaphor we use, whether it's staying with the, with the shepherd and sheep metaphor or it's transitioning to the gracious host of a banquet, what we see is God's provision. What we see is God's abundant provision. We see a God who is actively serving his people. We see a God who is gracious and a God who goes ahead of us and a God who makes his way our way for us. Now, we just need to make something clear here. Because if we all take a step back, we can look at our lives and say, wait a minute, I don't always experience that. It doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always seem like my cup is overflowing. In fact, sometimes, frankly, it just seems like our cup is empty, doesn't it? 
And we look at David's life and we understand that he was the king of Israel, right? He was a man after God's own heart. God had made a gracious covenant with him, which we're going to see even next week as we close out this series. But his life wasn't always easy. No, he, he made it hard on himself with some of his choices. And certainly he battled against King Saul and then against his own son Absalom. So his life wasn't always easy. And you read through the Psalms and you continually see that he's struggling, that he's depressed, that he's wondering why this is happening to him. So how can he say that my cup overflows, but then this be true? And friends, this is true in all of our lives. There are times of great joy and there are times of great sorrow. So when we think about this, it leads me to believe that David is inspired by the Holy Spirit, looking to more than just his physical circumstances. He's looking to a spiritual reality for those who are in the covenant family of God. Right? Jesus, the good shepherd, is sitting at the right hand of God. And the author of Hebrews tells us that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. He goes before us. He's supporting us even in the midst of the chaos that we experience. Even in the midst of the confusion that we experience. Even in the midst of the darkness and even in the midst of the trials. And he is protecting us from the enemies. I mean, just consider Peter. Consider Peter, the the one who was bold for the Lord, who was outspoken for the Lord. And you remember his profession. They're connected to the, to the, to the Lord's Supper. You know, they have the, the last supper, the, the last meal, the Lord's Supper together. And, and things are happening and things are moving. And Jesus predicts his death and his, suffer, his suffering and his death. And Peter says, wait a minute, this isn't going to happen. And then remember what Jesus says to Peter? Listen in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, behold... Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So here is a picture of what the author of Hebrews is picturing. That Jesus is able to save those to the uttermost who draw near to Him through Jesus, who draw near to God through Jesus, because He lives to make intercession for us. John chapter 17, accurately termed the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying for His followers, for unity, for perseverance, for protection, and ultimately for their sanctification. Now, when I think about what Scripture has to say about prayer, knowing that the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8, even prays for us through groans that we don't even understand, we don't know what to pray, we don't know how to pray, but there is a God who lives in us, who indwells us, the Holy Spirit, who prays for us. Should we not believe that Jesus' prayers aren't just general prayers like we pray so often? Oh God, Father, please bless Nate. Help him have a great day. Thank you for what you're doing. No, I think Jesus' prayer for his people, according to the will of God, according to the Father, are specific in nature, right? He knows us better than we know ourselves. 
He knows what we deal with. He knows what we struggle with. He knows our hurts. He knows our temptations. He knows that the enemy is ruthless. Just like in Peter's life, Satan has demanded to sift you. But I have prayed for you. But I have prayed for you. And yes, I don't want to minimize the physical blessing and the abundance that David would have experienced, or that he may even be talking about to some extent here as he uses the metaphor of, of what's going on, of the sheep or the, or the host of a banquet. But friends, our ultimate joy and our ultimate satisfaction is found in the spiritual blessings that come through Jesus Christ. So we see his abundance in provision, but we also see his abundance of comfort. So we see his abundance of comfort. Now, oil was a valued commodity in these days, in this time. Shepherds would anoint their sheep with oil to comfort them and to soothe them. There were certain types of flies that were active in the summer especially, and they would, they would just pester the sheep. They would try to get into the nasal cavities or even to the ears of the sheep, and, and they would lay their eggs there. And these flies, if they were able to lay their eggs there, those eggs would hatch, and then they would just pester the sheep. In fact, there's accounts of these sheep just ramming their heads into, into hard objects to try to bring comfort to themselves, but this will wreak havoc on the flock. But the attentive shepherd cared for his sheep by anointing them with oil. And when he anointed them with oil, this prevented the flies from laying their eggs in those places. Also, the oil would be used to just soothe skin irritations and, and minor cuts and, and scrapes. And as it pertains to a banquet, it was a customary thing for the host to anoint his guests with oil when they arrived at the feast, right? Provisions were made for foot washing and for the anointing of oil to soothe cracked and dry skin, which was so prevalent in Palestine, so prevalent in this area of the world. One commentator, a guy named Van Gemmeren, suggests that this was a gracious and a comforting provision offered to guests in order to show affection and care. I mean, when you think about that, this is exactly what David is writing about our God, how he is moving towards us, how he is initiating this gracious care in our lives in order to comfort us, in order to care for us. We need a fresh anointing, right? In the same way, we need God's continued care and continued comfort. We need the Spirit of God. And friends, all through Scripture, the Spirit of God is often referred to or associated with the anointing with oil. The Spirit of God will come upon and, and the Spirit of God comes and we need the Spirit of God. Yes, we are indwelled with the Spirit of God if we are in Christ, but we need fresh anointing. Experiencing His presence. Understanding that we live in a cruel world that is opposed to righteousness. And as God revives us and restores us over and over again, we need the ministry of the Spirit in our lives. Frankly, in this cruel world, we need to know that someone cares for us. And as the prophet Isaiah said, we need the one who tends his flock like a shepherd, 
who gathers His lambs in His arms, who carries them in His bosom, and who gently leads those with young. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11. Friends, this is no surprise. None of us in this room is immune to pain. None of us in this room is immune to hurt. None of us in this room is immune to brokenness or chaos or fear or injury. All of us have experienced our fair share. And frankly, some of us experience a lot more than our fair share. But this is what our God does. He comforts us. He comes to us. Uh, Psalm 147 verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. James chapter 4 and verse 6, he is near to us and he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, he cares for us, inviting us to cast our cares onto him because he loves us and cares for us. He sympathizes with us in our weakness, having been tempted in every way, yet without sin, and then invites us to the throne, the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. This is our God. This is the shepherd. This is the one who has called us to himself. He calls us by name. And he has made the way. Abundance of provision, abundance of comfort. He's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. And as the prophet Zephaniah declared, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty warrior who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with Loud singing. He is the good shepherd. He leads us to where we need to be. And he provides for our every need. And he protects us from the ultimate enemies. Our cup overflows as we consider his love towards us. And this doesn't mean that life's always easy, friends. But it does mean that the one who is in control is inclined towards us and we can trust him. But some of us might be thinking, wait a minute, how do I know that this great God, this person you're speaking about, this shepherd, this this good shepherd, this sovereign one, this one who cares for us, this one who attends to our needs, how do we really know that he's inclined towards us? How do we really know that he loves us and he really cares for us? Well, friends, let me just say this. Our cup overflows because Jesus drank the overflowing cup of God's wrath on our behalf. As the Savior hung on the cross, he didn't die for his own sin. He died for ours. And God poured out his wrath. You remember what he said there as he was praying in the garden? Let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way. But Jesus drank the full overflowing cup of God's wrath on sin and sinners. In the presence of his enemies. Friends, don't miss that. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of the enemies of Jesus Christ, he paid the ultimate price for our rebellion against the creator God. He died on the cross in our place, bearing the shame of our sin, but he lived perfectly. He lived perfectly and he died in our place. And on that third day, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death forever. The celebration that is spoken of here is a celebration of the wedding feast of the Lamb, friends, ultimately. It's a picture of what's to come for those who are in Christ, for those who have, who have confessed their sin, those who have, have put their trust in Jesus Christ. There is coming a banquet a great banquet, a celebration, eternal blessedness in the presence of God. But for those who remain apart from faith in Jesus Christ, there is no celebration. There is no grand banquet. Frankly, there is just death and torment forever. If you have questions about that, if you have questions about what it means to follow Christ, if you're interested in knowing more about forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ, the hope of eternal life, then I pray that you'll come and talk to me or to one of us during our time of invitation here in a few minutes. Uh, Or maybe find us after the service is over because we want to be able to share with you how you can know the forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. But I want to close with a few words for those who are struggling to experience an overflowing cup. I mean, life may have you down and things are difficult and it doesn't seem as though there's a whole lot of joy in life or there's a whole lot of root beer coming off the sides, right? We understand that. So I want to look at overcoming obstacles to experiencing an overcup. Number one. You will not experience the overflowing cup if you are failing to abide in Christ. If you're trying to fill your cup with the things of this world, then what you'll see is that your cup will remain empty. And there will be no satisfaction. And there will be no hope. Because the things of this world cannot ultimately satisfy the deep desires that have been implanted by God in you. You try, like all of us have lived at times, trying to satisfy those desires with the things of this world, but they don't work. Only God can satisfy us. And only through Christ is God satisfying us. However, if you will seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, then you can expect that God is going to satisfy you with His love and his goodness. As you draw near to him, you will experience the fullness of his presence. You will experience his love. It doesn't mean life's gonna, it doesn't mean life's gonna be easy all the time. But as you draw near to him and trust him and follow him, you will see that there is hope and joy in him. So some of us here need to repent of making idols out of things that cannot ultimately satisfy us. Stuff, pleasures, status, comfort, career, and yes, maybe even family at times. 
See, while these things aren't inherently evil or wrong, to the extent that we value them more than we do God, they will drive us away from what truly satisfies. And then, for some of us, if we hope to experience a cup that overflows, then we need to fix our eyes on the shepherd, right? Some of us are hurting because of our circumstances. Some of us look at our lives right now and we say, how do we get to this place and how do I get out of this place, right? Trials and difficulties have been mounting and somewhere along the way, we've lost sight of the shepherd. We've taken our eyes off of Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And when we take our eyes off the shepherd, then we're tempted to believe that our present circumstances are more defining and more real than he is. Or than his care and his provision are. And then we begin to question everything. And it's a rat race, friends. Contentment then is impossible. Hope seems distant. Despair seems status quo. We begin to believe the lies of Satan that either God doesn't care or that God can't handle our situation. Or that we've wandered too far. It becomes increasingly difficult, friends. So some of us just need to repent. We need to trust Jesus and fix our eyes on him, humbling ourselves and and drawing near to him. He is the rock. He is the comforter. He is the one who restores joy. It's in him and him alone. And friends, perhaps the first step in that process is confessing your struggle to God And to others. Confessing it to people that you trust. People that you know care for you. Why? Because you can't fight the battle alone, friends. It's one of the reasons why we have a church. Why God gave the church. The church is a means of grace. Where we love and we encourage and we support one another. We've been talking about biblical community all year long, right? The most dangerous place for the sheep is away from the presence of the shepherd and away from the flock. When the sheep is away from the shepherd and away from the flock, that sheep is in danger because the predators will come and the predators will pounce and the sheep will get lost and There's nothing good away from the presence of the shepherd or the presence of the flock. So friends, in your struggle, draw near to God and draw near to others. Confess confess your struggle. Confess your sin. Open yourself up. In our invitation here, which we're moving to here in just a few moments, I, I want us to contemplate the the blessings that God has provided in our lives, both physical, yes, and spiritual, yes. But then also contemplate the struggles in your life and recognize that there may be uh, reasons that really pertain to you as to why you're struggling and repent and seek the Lord. And maybe even identify people that you know, that you're connected to, that you're close to, that you can begin to confess some of these struggles to. As you draw near to the shepherd, draw near to your church family. Draw near to the flock. Finally, if you have questions about life, death, baptism, church membership, 
I pray that you'll come talk to us, come talk to me right now or after the service is over. We would love to connect with you, myself or anyone on our staff uh, or someone you know to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's follow the Good Shepherd and let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you.